0: Thank you for listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Hattonfield, New Jersey. This episode is a sermon preached by Reverend Marvin Lindsay titled, World of Trouble on My Mind. It focuses on Genesis 28 and the well-known story of Jacob's ladder, and it focuses in greater detail on Jacob's vow to tithe or give 10% of his wealth to the Lord in exchange for the Lord's protection. Under the stars, was nothing more than a rock for a pillow. So the question is, what's happened between two weeks ago and now? Well, Isaac and Rebecca Mary, uh, Rebecca conceived twins, and while she was still so pregnant with her twins, she had a revelation. The Lord revealed to her that the elder would serve the younger. That the promise that this family would be a blessing to all nations and would inherit land would go through the younger son's line of the family tree rather than the older son's line as law and custom dictated. Well, years passed and Isaac grew old, his vision failed, and he was on his deathbed. And at that point, Rebecca acted to make the prophecy Come true. She dressed up her younger son Jacob like his older brother Esau, had him sneak into Isaac's bedroom, impersonate his older brother, and trick Isaac into blessing him rather than blessing Esau. It's the uh, first case of fraud and identity theft in the Bible, as far as I know. Now, in the ancient world, the patriarch's blessing. Had real power. It had an almost kind of magical power. And even today, we are aware of the power of words to do good or to do harm. Some of us spend a lot of time and money in therapy trying to undo the harmful effects of words that we've heard in the past. Isaac spoke helpful, not hurtful words. His words were a blessing, but it was a blessing that was given to the wrong person—the one that law and custom dictated would inherit a greater portion of the father's assets. And when Esau discovered that he had been robbed, he began to plot to kill his brother. And Rebekah gets wind of the conspiracy, and so to shield Jacob from Esau's wrath, she sends Jacob back off to the old country under the pretext of obtaining a wife. And that's why we find Jacob in Genesis 28, sleeping brother. Well, our young fugitive and fraudster Drifts off to sleep, and he dreams of a ladder running from earth to heaven, and angels going up and down the ladder. And he hears a voice, a voice that identifies itself as the voice of Abraham and Isaac's God. And the voice reiterated a promise that had probably become something like family legend by this point. You are destined for greatness. You will inherit this land that you're now sleeping upon. You will have a multitude of children to fill this land, and your family will bring a blessing to every family and tribe and nation on earth. And then the voice added words that were specifically tailored to Jacob's situation. I will be with you. I will be your people. I will arrange a homecoming for you. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't breathe a word about Jacob's Sin, his duplicity, his fraud. God says nothing about that. God speaks to Jacob about his future, not his past. I will give you land. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back. All of these verbs are in the future tense, and they point to prosperity, not to adversity for Jacob. The God of Abraham and Isaac, and now Jacob, is a God of new beginnings. This is a God of free grace. This God wipes the slave clean. No sin is too great for this God to forgive. And no sinner is so far gone that God cannot use them to bring a blessing to all people. But if God is merciful to Jacob, then God also puts this sly young man in his place. Because God is the subject of all these verbs that point to Jacob's future prosperity. I will give, says the Lord. I will keep. I will bring you back. Stealing his brother's blessing is one of many examples of this cunning young man to strive and connive to get something for himself. But now Jacob learns that all these things that he was striving and grasping for were his from the beginning. Not because of his own cunning, or his own uh, treachery, or his own grasping, but because God had ordained him for him. We talk a lot, you know, about making a living, and about achieving in this life, but the truth is, we don't so much make a living as receive a life from the God who gives us life and breath. And God will make something of our lives, despite what we have made of them. They say that faith is letting go and letting God. And I think one reason that that kind of trite setting is true is because when your hands are grasping onto something and striving to lay hold or lay claim to something, you can't receive God's gifts. It's only when our hands are open and empty that we can receive the life and the blessings that God has for us. Jacob awakes from his dream of changed man, or you know, at least a moderately changed. Um, how awesome is this place, Jacob cries. And he responds to this close encounter with the Almighty with worship and with making some promises of his home to the God who has made him promises. He turns the pillar, uh, the stone that he was sleeping on, his, on its side, and he makes it an altar. And he makes the vow that if, in fact, the Lord will keep these great promises to accompany him and safeguard him and bring him home safe and sound, then he would add a few more stones to this rock and he would keep them up until they became a house of worship. And what is more, Jacob is going to endow this house of worship with 10% of his wealth, a tithe. A building campaign and a pledge.
1: Boy, that sounds kind of
0: churchy, doesn't it? I know, I know it's July you weren't expecting a stewardship sermon until the fall, but... I'm going to supplement you here with uh, with one because it's the passage that was appointed for our reading this Sunday. I have to kind of have to go with the script that's laid out before me. So I want you to think about a question: Why do you give? Why do you give to Christ and His Church? You know, there are many different reasons. Maybe, different, uh, many, maybe as many different reasons as there are people here and online. But some of us give because of the difference that makes in people's lives. You know, we give to the Lord because we feed the hungry, because we house the homeless, because we make homes warmer, safer, and drier, as we heard about last Sunday. Others give because of what we receive back. We give to the Lord because it provides programs to help our children be raised in the faith. It helps provide worship. It inspires us on Sunday morning so that we can make it through the week. And all of these are good reasons. Jacob, I believe, gives for yet a third reason. Jacob's like someone who got caught outside of an open field in a thunderstorm and lived to tell about it. He's encountered the Lord, and he is awestruck and shaken after that encounter. For many different reasons, not just because of the vision and the voice, but because of the promises. He's met a God who's come down to confront him. And has not only really allowed him to live another day, but has promised him many prosperous days to come. God's given Jacob a new lease on life. So Jacob will give God ten men in return. Recognizing that all that he has is a gift from God above. Right now he has nothing to close his back. But he acknowledges that what he will receive is a gift from God. And not something that is going to strike so, how does our giving compare to James? So, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the announcements, our session is engaged in a visioning process called Project Regeneration with some uh, partners and consultants at the Presbyterian Foundation. And the book, Sailboat Church, is part of that process. Uh, part of that process is also a deep dive into our church's finances that the Presbyterian Foundation provided for us. And so I want to share some interesting data points with you. The median gift to First Presbyterian of all number of households is $825 a year, or $68.75 a month, which is a little bit less than the monthly rate for Verizon's Your Bios program. Okay. Now, not every household gives, but among the households that do give, the average gift is fifteen eighty-seven dollars a year for $132.25 a month. That's a little less than what the average Gen Xer spends on alcoholic beverages per month, according to a Harris poll. Um, Millennials spend more, but I'm not going to tell you how much more because I'm a Gen Xer and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get into generational warfare this morning. But I got a question for you. What... Is cable TV and news doing for us? That God is doing. Now, I hope you don't take offense to that question. And the reason why is that that's a question that is raised here out in our own household, although not in maybe quite so pointed terms. Let me tell you a story about how the story of Jacob's ladder came alive in our lives. Uh, It was about 15 years ago, and uh, I was in uh, a wonderful call, in a wonderful church, wonderful community in North Carolina, but I was sensing a call to further my education, and I ignored it for a long time, but it became finally overpowering. And so, Laura and I visited uh, Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. And I applied there because it seemed like it was a good school for me. And what is more, we found some great opportunities for education for our oldest child there, who is autistic. It needs a pretty rigorous program of special education services, or didn't at the time. So uh, I was accepted, but our oldest was not accepted to the school that we had applied for. And they didn't bother telling us this until a few weeks before we were scheduled to move. So, we didn't have much of a financial plan for taking this uh, next step in my education, and now we didn't have any educational plan for one of our children who really needed a really solid educational plan. And what is more, we got this news right before I was scheduled to go on a retreat at Iona Abbey in Scotland. And I didn't want to go, I wanted to stay here and try to figure out the situation, but I was going as part of a clergy cohort that had obtained a grant for this experience, and so I thought well, I was kind of obliged to go. So I went. I flew to Glasgow, got on a train that took me to Oban, I took a ferry to the island of the Mall, I got on the wrong bus and went to the wrong end of the Mall, so I retraced my steps back to the dock. found the right bus, the last bus of the day, and went to the right end of the Mall and caught the last ferry of the day. To Iona. And the staff member met me there, i led me to the Abbey, and when I entered the cloister space at Iona, it was like a kind of like a, a shudder and a chill went through me. It was almost as if all the people who had gone there to pray since the monastery was founded in 563 AD, it was like they had kind of supercharged the atmosphere in that place. I can't explain it to you, it's, that's how I experienced it. And then a couple of hours later, it was time for the evening worship service in the church, in the Abbey Church, and so I sat at the end of this row of chairs like this, and I was so tired, and I was so stressed out from the trip, and I just wanted to put my head against the wall and go to sleep, it was a stone wall, and I remember the story of Jacob's ladder, and I I can't describe it, but it was like I was suddenly aware of God's presence filling that entire space. It scared me to death. And then that whole week, in prayer and also in uh, chance conversations with other people, I kept getting this message, you can do this, you will do this, I will be with you. So I came home and I said to Laura, we've got to go to Richard. And fortunately, she went with me. <laughs> I kind of thought she was going to say, fine. Enjoy the trip. But she went with me. And we sort of lived also into the end of the story of Jacob's Ladder. And we made a promise and a commitment that if the Lord would get us through this adventure, that we would tie on whatever we received by way of income in this adventure together, And it was an adventure, but we got through for the better. Uh, I, uh, Laura found a new career path when we were in Richmond. Uh, our son found uh, an even better school than we had lined up for him at the beginning, and God dragged me across the finish line, and I finally defended my dissertation. And then I entered to work for full time, and you know what happened to my hour vow to time It kind of evaporated. It kind of evaporated. Uh, we give more money now than we did when I was in grad school in absolute terms, but the percentage of giving has dropped. And I was doing a little work this week, and I found out that that's typical. Um, surveys show that. Among Americans who give to charity, those who are the poorest give the highest percentage of their income. It's 12 percent for households that make under twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Can you imagine that? 12 percent, and for households that give over, make over one hundred sixty-one thousand dollars a year, the average is two percent. And it was displayed in a nice little graph for me. I mean, the percentage just goes straight down. The middle class and the wealthy give more than the poor, for sure. But the poor give more sacrificially than the middle class or the wealthy. Poverty is a danger to the body. But wealth is a danger to the soul. Because if we're not thoughtful and intentional about our giving to the Lord, then the more we make the less generous we might become. So we sense in the story of uh, revisiting this story many years later, we sense in the story a call and a commitment to work our way back to that tide of giving. I've never committed uh, identity fraud or theft. Uh, those are not uh, weaknesses that I am particularly tempted with. But every day I fall short. Uh, I have made lots of mistakes. And the news that God gives to Jacob, which I believe God gives to all of us, that God wipes his slate clean, that is good news indeed for me. And what is more, God has promised us a homecoming even greater than the homecoming that God promised to Jacob. Through faith in Christ, we are bound for a promised land where there is only lightness and peace and joy, where the beauty and the glory of God encompasses everything, and where the saints of God are eagerly awaiting our arrival. That is one reason why we give, because of what God and Jesus Christ has given us. I think the final verse of is Isaac Watson, When I Survey the Wonders Cross, says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And when you think about it in those terms, 10% is really a bargain. You know? So I want you to think about it a little bit further this week. And I want to invite you to join with our household and just reflect on what God and Jesus Christ has done for you and the great promises that God and Jesus Christ has made to you. And make a plan to respond to God's generosity with a percentage of giving that truly expresses your level of gratitude and is appropriate for your life situation. That's my invitation to you today. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.